Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk about purpose with inspiring people making a positive impact with their lives. We are particularly interested in social enterprises and entrepreneurs. We will listen to them reflect on their journeys and take time to dig deeper in order to better understand what really motivates their choices. Well, hey everyone, I'm really glad you could join me for this episode as we get to speak with historian Rowan Light. And we talk a lot about Anzac Day. And why is it that we commemorate one of the worst defeats of World War I? I think you'll find it's a fascinating conversation. And if you enjoy it, you might want to check out some of the other episodes on this podcast, because this is now the 73rd episode. And we're going to get straight into it today. So here is my conversation with historian Rowan Light. All right, so it's a pleasure to welcome Rowan Light, who's a lecturer in the History Department at the University of Canterbury. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Great to be here, Stephen. Um, what we do on this show is we talk about what people are doing now, um, and in particular, different areas that they've specialized in. But in order to set the scene, um, it's usually helpful to go back. And I know we're going to have a conversation about history. I can sense it. <laughs> and in particular, thinking about Anzac. Um, but if we could just go back to the start of your own life, and then we'll just trace our way through to what you're doing now. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, so where are you from? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm from uh, Auckland originally, so mm. I've just really, I'm pretty new to Christchurch. I just uh, moved down at the start of the year and to start this, this job at uh, University of Canterbury, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm loving it. And I mean, it's certainly interesting to, because I'm, um, I'm very interested as a historian in, in memory, so I'm, uh, it's interesting to be here in the, in, in, as, as the subject here in um, yeah, to sort of reminisce a bit. So, yeah. Well, that's what I think we emailed, didn't we? And I said to you, this is kind of like contemporary history, mm-hmm. like we're recording a moment in time mm-hmm. <laughs> that that people can listen to and it will be that moment in your life, you know, mm-hmm. um, which I think I said to you as well, I did a history degree at Canterbury. So I, partly I think the podcast is an outworking of my mm-hmm. own love of story and recording that story. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your childhood in Auckland, um, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about what sort of things you enjoyed. Like, did mm-hmm. you enjoy reading or were you more outdoors or? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, well, I guess I grew up in a um, pretty nice spot in Auckland, in Devonport, and which is a really great spot to grow up in. And, uh, you know, beautiful kind of um, beautiful uh, spot uh, near the beach and um some of the best sort of views of, of Auckland and, and very, that was very much part of my childhood was, mm-hmm. was going down to the beach um, as much as possible and, and uh, I've, I've sort of retained that love of, love of the water and um, with swimming and so I, yeah, that grew up, that's where I grew up and uh, I, I suppose that's where I did my schooling. I, was, I went to Rosmini College on the North Shore mm-hmm. which is a, a Catholic boys school mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose my passions were really, uh, I, I played rugby and, and crickets, and I enjoyed both. Um, and But really, I suppose my, my passions were really around um, yeah, reading, and, and it was sort of something I took a while to get into, actually, because I was even, uh, though now what I do is a large part of my job is, is reading and writing, mm. um, I actually came to, to read, I was sort of a late reader, and, mm. it, and I had to go through um, a lot of. There was a lot of effort at school to get me into um, to reading and, and up to scratch. And mm. and it was, once it sort of clicked, um, I had a great sort of experience with the when it with a sort of um, I suppose you'd describe it as a kind of a 
sort of extracurricular kind of reading program that they ran through the Devonport Library. But uh, but certainly my family, um, there was a big emphasis on the humanities and, and mm-hmm. the arts. And uh, yeah. So the history, because later we're going to come to the fact that you studied history and, you know, that's what you've become as a historian. Was there evidence of that? Would you say, if you look back at your parents or, you know, in your family, like, was there some context for that? Or? Yeah, it's, it's a funny sort of question because... And I suppose as somebody who now, yeah, again, is interested in why and and precisely life narratives and how we remember things and why. And it's Mm. probably tempting to kind of look for an origin story. Yeah, (laughs) it was this point. (laughs) But in fact, my my father was a builder. Right. And um, and my mum was a was a was um, looked after us as a family. Yeah. So that was her job. And and. So in many ways, not immediately. Uh, uh, we didn't. I mean, no, no one in my family had has worked for a university. Mm. Um, but in many ways, I think growing up there was a strong emphasis on ideas, mm-hmm. and, and, and you know, we're quite a, a family. We grew up with four brothers right. and a sister. Wow. So there's a few of us, and that I think contributed to kind of an environment where yeah, lots of talking, and you, you got to express your opinion <laughs> exactly. and stand by it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, you weren't heard. Yeah, and so. Um, and my parents were very. I think they that was something they were very wanted to promote among the kid growing up was was mm-hmm. you know what do you stand for what do you you know what do you what do you what's your view mm-hmm. um, take a take a view and um, and how did they go about doing that like yeah. what was it looking yeah. back reflecting mm. now from the position you're in mm. you know because that's that's a lot of children to you know be be promoting I think it's great yeah, I've got yeah. four young children oh, yes, and yeah. I'm always trying to learn from my guests like what was it that made your childhood you mm, know <laughs> yeah, yeah I think it is a fascinating I mean of course of course it shapes us so much as people so yeah and I do think that that was a big part of who I am as as as, as my um are my siblings but yeah I suppose part of it I think I can just one one sort of recurring memory is really you know at at dinner you mm. know meal time when you had cacophony of, of of voices and 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 people talking um and you know it was always a there was always a discussion right you know? and particularly i'm the younger my i've got a younger brother okay but we're the sort of babies of the family so we were probably always he- listening and hearing yeah our, my older brothers um and my sister and, and my parents and those discussions around you know politics and and religion and right. and um, my parents were always very um, yeah very much you know had strong convictions and mm-hmm. and encouraged that in the kids and yeah. I think um, so in terms of I think that certainly kind of maybe pointed me to what maybe unconsciously or not really not certainly not consciously thinking okay well, I want to do something which um, which I am I'm passionate about. Yeah. At school, the, you know, what was my pa- what was my passion, but also, what am I going to do, which kind of um, contributes yeah. to to the, our society. Yeah. And so, so it sounds like they gave you a, a quite a big perspective of the world. You know. Yeah, like yeah. Think about your place and mm. and how you're actually going to be giving back. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. yeah, very much so. And it's sort of interesting to think about where all my other brothers have and my sister have have sort of ended up in different careers and in quite a broad sort of um, lots of different sort of, you know, very different politics. Mm-hmm. But I think in many ways if what sort of has kind of connected us is very much, a, I think, a, um, a sense of that we're all in kind of a, yeah, we all want to do things which 
which have a leave a mark on on society and, and, mm-hmm. and take a stand. Mm. So oh, that's good. Well, let's see how that traces through the rest of the story and what you've studied and and the subject areas that you're studying as well, because mm-hmm. that's fascinating to me. Um, in terms of high school days, then you mentioned rugby and cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, were you also into studying history at that point, or was that something that came a bit later at you know yeah, university actually. stage? Or mm. like looking back with hindsight, yeah. could you predict uh, if your teachers had said, you know, here's what he's going to do? What would they have said? Yeah, well, it's it is kind of funny because I don't think many people, many certainly not many um, teenage boys, would say I want to be a university a university historian (laughs) but but i actually quite early on had decided that i'd a well i did history in new zealand you you don't get a chance really to do history as a proper uh, subject until year 11 right as you as you might um i don't know how old your your kids are but maybe they're getting to that stage where they start to choose their senior level subjects and i enjoyed the history components of things like social studies Mm -hmm. we learned about you know the Nazi Germany and, and the history of sort of Polynesian migration and so I, I knew I enjoyed those aspects. I also enjoyed English and I enjoyed sort of other um, sort of yeah those kind of subjects. But it wasn't until I got to year eleven that it kind of realised that that a it was something that I really enjoyed and mm. that I was quite good at right. you know, writing and and um, and I enjoyed reading and I enjoyed research and so I was a bit of a, a history nerd from very early on and. I didn't. I never thought about what it actually required to to get a job at a university or what that actually meant in a day to day experience. But I just had a sense. Okay, that's what I want to do. Right. And um, you enjoyed it. Yeah, precisely. Which ultimately is the. <laughs> if that could be at the foundation of everybody's choice, that would. Mm-hmm. I think we'd all be a lot happier, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I think I was very fortunate to have seen that. You yeah. know, and I mean, not everyone has the maybe the. Because of course, practicalities, mm. you know, life you have to you have to live. And in many ways, if I'd had the knowledge of how hard and competitive and, and, and contested sort of the university work environments can be, or yep. job job market, like many other sectors and industries, is competitive, I might have chosen something a bit more um, practical, mm. uh, if I can use that word. Um, but it was something I enjoyed, and it was kind of funny because if I I've thought about it sometimes, because often people say, you know. They had a teacher. Maybe it was the history, a history teacher who inspired me. But actually, right. but it was actually my English teacher who had had did inspire me. Hmm. And so, was, what was it about them that inspired you? I think it was I had an English teacher in year thirteen who had this quite amazing ability to demand more. You know, he could get the more out of you. He could right. get the most. He had this ama- wonderful ability to to take students who didn't want to be at school. For you know some students who don't want to be at school and, and sort of was able to kind of inspire them to, mm. to, to rise above you know the mediocre and he certainly helped me to you know say I could do could do better I could work at a higher level and mm. could actually achieve something with my with my writing so mm. so I suppose my interest in history was always in a bigger kind of context of yeah the humanities and mm, the writing side of it as yeah, well yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good and then I guess getting to the end of high school and you're deciding what you're going to do at that point you knew you know like age 18 or whatever this Mm. is what i want to study or did you go into university i don't know studying sociology and other things as well yeah well i i had grown by by sort of year 13 and by my end of high school Mm. and you know everyone um 
I was, you know, I'd sort of starting to de- develop my own politics and my own sort of um, view of the world. And, and I, I'd started reading a lot of, um, you know, my favorite authors were people like C.S. Lewis, you mm-hmm. know, and, yeah. um, you know, so who, who aren't, they're not, he wasn't a historian, but certainly a, somebody who, who wrote and who, who was a public figure and who contributed to ideas. And so I knew, and I knew he, you know, I, I sort of wanted that, you know, I wanted to be somebody who could, could um, influence and, and could offer good ideas and, and to answer your question. I, I had a clear sense that I wanted to do history and I wanted to do a Bachelor of Arts and mm-hmm. that's what I would do and I would just um, basically follow my, my passion and my interest. And mm-hmm. I suppose a big part of, actually now that I'm sort of talking about this, I do think that part of my interest in history came from my family and particularly my grandparents. Okay. Um, particularly my grandfather who was an was Irish mm-hmm. and so I I became very interested in, in that sort of part of my family's story mm-hmm. and um, the migration out to, to New Zealand and the and some of the stories the sort of romantic mm-hmm. um, stories that were told about that and mm-hmm. I think so when I was at school and, and university I sort of told myself yeah I wanted to study I wanted to study Irish history mm. um, and is your grandfather still alive or? no no he, he's passed he passed away um, yeah. a good few years ago yeah um, so what was it what was it about the way that he explained things I guess that that inspired you well I think it's an maybe it wasn't so much the the conversations we would have but the I suppose and it's interesting now thinking about the I suppose what appeals mm. to our sense of who we are and what we remember and what what we sort of choose to make part of our our personal histories mm-hmm I think it was partly the fact that it was a way that I could connect. It was a connection that we had, and it was, you know, we were Irish Catholics, you know, mm-hmm. and we, who'd come to New Zealand, and it's an identity. Um, yeah, precisely yeah. identity. Yeah. That sense of yeah, belonging, who you are, and that you have a have a story. Yeah, um, you have a you can you know, and, and and part of that is tied up. I think with, you know, there were stories of of, of you know being rebels, you know, and, right. and sort of. Um, and uh, as well as sort of, I had, you know, relatives who went to the world wars and so kind of had a bit of cachet in terms of a kind of romantic, um, you know, idea of war and, and sort of, um, and revolution and these mm-hmm. kinds of themes. But um, And so, your grandfather yeah. liked to tell these stories, did he? Yeah. Of the, of, yeah. Of the, grandf- the grandparents or whatever. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and very much exactly like stories of that his father, you know, had, had um, been a, a uh, quartermaster for the IRA, you know, during the right. the War of Independence against the uh, the British, and and it's funny because I don't, I can't think of any sort of particular moments, perhaps where that was. Um, my grandfather was a great storyteller, mm. um, but it was, but it's very much that sort of sense, that sort of, uh, a kind, I suppose, an almost kind of, um, yeah, that that uh, intangible kind of belonging and that mm. that offered, that mm. stories offered and. And it's almost like he painted a picture of the world and mm. painted you into it, right? Yeah, like, well, that's, it, yeah, that's a beautiful way to put it. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. you had that sense of identity from his mm. descriptions. It's actually fascinating to me thinking about someone who's become a historian, the influence of your own history, mm. you know, because for me, I love history. And I think partly mm-hmm. it is because I always was told stories about the great grandparent who did this mm. and the grandmother who used to work in the White House and, Mm. you know, like these little stories that were about a different era, a different time. So it sounds like it's a similar, um, similar 
history. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's uh, certainly, yeah, that, that sort of, that, I mean, that's certainly a big, uh, putting my academic hat on, I would say that that's, that's been a really powerful sort of phenomenon of the last 20 or 30 years has been the growth and sort of interest in family history yeah. in a way which, and that's partly, you know, change in technology where we can, we have, we can make these connections um, and also I, I think a greater um, appreciation of, of kind of historical moments and that mm. we, we, you know, which everyone sort of wants to maybe have a connection to. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And, yeah. The, and also like the rise of getting your your um, DNA testing mm. to work out, you know, yeah, yeah. what percentage am I of this or that? Yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> interesting that, isn't that's it? That's a whole new industry, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Sprung up. Right, and it's it's sort of a th- sort of interaction, isn't it, of so many different factors, which is it's sort of this, this the technology and the, the access to that sort of the DNA testing. Um, yeah. And it's also kind of riding, I think, on a, some might call it nostalgia, but I don't know, I think it's very much that desire for belonging. Mm. And that desire to know who we are um, in a way which um, I suppose speaks to pay, maybe we've lost some of that, the the, the stories and the, the kind of, mm. um, you know, shared common, common stories that maybe we previous generations used to make sense of their lives mm. um, in a way. So, but anyway, maybe we can talk about that later. Yeah, um, no, that'd be good. But, yeah, just the one little bit more on this rabbit hole is um, I think I, I love the family history side of things. So I always try to record people who are mm-hmm. special to me. Mm. You know, like I recorded my grandmother when she was 92 and she talked about her life. Mm. And so I've got this little audio snippet of her, wow. me asking her questions. And I just think it's so powerful. Like if people are listening mm. and they've never sat down with their grandparent, if they're still alive, mm. you know, to actually get some tell me what it was like in the 1930s you know yeah, like yeah. it's such a it's in a and with phones it's so easy to do you mm, can record right. very easily yeah. and then pass that on to the next generations who are coming like there's no excuse with the technology now is there no, exactly <laughs> and i do think now from a because i've done some oral history um mm. during my my studies and and i think oh what a shame that i never had that you know i never mm. thought to do that or there was no one in the family that had the kind of foresight to, to do yeah. that, to, to just whip out a recorder and to have a... Because they even just being able to hear the voices of our exactly. grandparents. Well, see, that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is oh, because yeah. I'm trying to record voices talking. Mm. So there's a guy, this is really deep in the rabbit hole now, but there's a guy I recorded named John Hammond. Um, so I recorded him in December mm-hmm. and I knew that he had terminal brain cancer. Okay. So he died in March. Mm-hmm. And so we now have a record of an hour of him talking about his life mm. and how he was coping and what you do when you get that type of news. Mm-hmm. And so it's well. this moment, a slice of, you know, that was it. Mm. So anyway, hopefully people are encouraged who are listening to this. I mean, yeah, like, sure. oh, maybe I should get my iPhone out and talk with my grandparent about their childhood. Because mm. um, yeah, I think yeah. the more we can encourage that type of thing, the better. Yeah, and I think it's such an interesting way that history, and I suppose I'm an advocate for, for history. Mm. Um, it's my, it's, I'm sort of, my livelihood rides on it, but is that that's one of the, pow- the powerful things about history is that it can, um, it's, it explores those kind of relationships in the mm. present, you know, at, by looking at relationships in the past. Mm. Um, and it's that, yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. So you end up at university 
and you're studying and you have this sense that you want to you know study history mm-hmm. <laughs> what did it did it play out exactly that way or or were there sort of moments when you thought I'm not going to do this do something else or yeah I had a few uh <laughs> moments where I was like oh this is just um a sensible this you, you know there's lots of brilliant people out there and you meet them at universities and, and yeah. I thought oh I'm not going to be able to <laughs> compete with these people um and the fact that I'm here where I am today is is just I think a combination of just opportunities and being in the right place at the right time because mm. um because and being just very fortunate to have had opportunities because I know that I, I I studied with you know brilliant people and and so there were a few times where I thought oh I could always you know and I I, I did work you know in different research roles mm. and I worked for 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 politicians and um, as I was studying and so I I've always had a sense of of keeping options open and, right, and yeah. different different ways that I could could uh, could contribute to society. Um, mm. I, I went, a big moment, for, I suppose, in uni, my university years was I did an exchange to, to Dublin University College, oh, Dublin, right. which was kind of getting That's out of my cool. system. Yeah. yeah, I was sort of getting out of system, my system, I think, my my passion for Your, your Irish, background, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> it was good because I went there and, and then, um, and maybe you've had this experience yourself yeah. as somebody who's who's lived in different worlds, um, is that people turned around and said, oh, you're, you know, you're a New Zealander, you know, and it helped me sort of realise, oh, well, that... I've got this connection to Ireland, but I, yeah. I'm very much rooted in in this place of um, Aotearoa, and yeah. so I um, loved loved Dublin, and um, but very much came back sort of with a desire, I think, to sort of contribute to my yeah our part of the world, right? And and, and when you were going there, like you're on the plane flying to Dublin, mm-hmm. did you think it was going to be different? Like, did you think that you were just going to walk off and welcome, you know, <laughs> yeah. long lost brother, welcome back? <laughs> You've oh, been away for a couple of decades, <laughs> that's but. right? For, for the, uh, you know, and that sort of mystical, like yeah. a mystical connection. Yeah, I, I would let's probably go get some. <laughs> let's go have some beer together. Yeah. That's right. Have a yeah. And yeah, actually, looking back at my naive. Um, what was I, 19 or whatever, that there probably was a strong element of that sort of sense that I would yep. find um, and find myself and, and, you know, but I it was but a great experience and I made some really good friends and yep. and I think they quite early on helped to dispel that sense. And because, mod- I mean, modern Ireland is, um, is a really interesting place mm. and it has all its own foibles and, and, and troubles and they, uh, the Irish, you know, um, but I suppose it helped me to certainly to, to sort of chip away some of the sort of romantic mm-hmm. sort of romantic visions that I had of Ireland and um, and uh, really loved it. But yeah, came back. Um, and that sense of identity that you described, you know, that you were from New Zealand, mm-hmm. like, was there a moment that that kind of hit home? Like, mm-hmm. this is great to be here, but now I'm ready to go back and contribute to my place. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I think it was very much, I left with mixed uh, emotions because I had made great friends and I loved it and I told myself I wanted to come back here as soon as possible. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I'd played, I played rugby over there and, and so I'd, I'd studied in this great history department. And, but I think I, one, one, it was sort of interesting, I guess I'd met, one of the interesting things was that I'd actually met while I was there mm. a historian called Mark McKenna, who was an Australian who is an Australian historian, and he was doing kind of a sabbatical okay. in UCD. So it's kind of one of the, this is one of the sort of opportunities that I think had cropped up. Just, I happened to be in the right place, and we 
I was doing an Australian history course with, with uh-huh. Mark and a bunch of Irish students who had real no interest in, in the subject. <laughs> and so we would have these great conversations. Yeah, and there's a Kiwi here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So yep. no one else really probably knew what was going on. But, yeah. but I was, because I was sort of the, you know, played the, played the role of the antagonistic New Zealander in this right. Australian history course. <laughs> but it kind of was Mark who kind of got me thinking, well, what, what about the history of my own place? Mm. I see. And, and so I, that was certainly, a, I think, a moment when I started as a, well, as a, somebody who wanted to be an historian, sort of started to think more about my own, um, my own sort of place, mm. yeah, as I've, I've said. And uh, so I think it was a process. So I don't think there was probably ever a moment when I kind yeah. of thought I'd, I'd had moved beyond um, that, that phase, as uh, that Irish phase, but... Yeah, yeah. So you come back to New Zealand, um, and was that at, were you getting to towards the point? I guess talking through like honors research or mm. doing PhD. Like, what was your topic area? I guess. Yeah, well, it's I don't know if this is interesting for 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 the, for people listening and, and yourself, but I I did jump around a little bit because I came back to Auckland to finish my my BA undergraduate at the University of Auckland, but mm. Mark. McKenna, who I'd met in Dublin, had since moved back to, to Sydney, and he said, why don't you come over and do an honours year at oh, the okay. University of Sydney? So right. I, I actually went to Sydney for a couple of years, and I know oh, you lived, yeah. lived there yourself. And so I, I hadn't quite, <laughs> um, I wasn't quite grounded yet in yeah. New Zealand. I, I did that two years, in, in well, sort of one year of the honours degree, and then I worked and I had initially decided that I would stay in Sydney and do my PhD. Right. So um, because you had a strong relationship with him. Yeah, as exactly. Well, right? yeah. yeah, and he was that's right. He was a great mentor. Yeah. And, and I li- I liked you know Sydney's a great spot. Mm-hmm. But I came to the end of the two years, and, and for a number of reasons, I decided that I would come back to to Auckland, mm-hmm. um, and one of which was sort of family, um, and I think I was starting to maybe realise that I'd been away. Yeah, starting to miss home a bit in, yeah. this, in the sense, even though of course I'd been back and I'd, but really I hadn't sort of, um, my wanting to sort of maybe put down some more roots, mm-hmm. um, and so I decided I would um, come back and do the PhD at Auckland, mm-hmm. and I had obviously relationships there at Auckland's university that I could draw upon and people who were keen to to help me out. So yeah, um, but it was Mark who, because his one of his interests as a historian was the history of of Anzac Day, and he was sort of very much interested in where it sort of come from mm-hmm. in terms of the Australian kind of um, experience of of the commemoration, and and he encouraged me to well, wh- why don't you look at Australia and New Zealand together, right, and, and the history of of that sort of shared commemoration, yeah, and so it was a natural fit for me to be able to go back to Auckland and maintain connections with Sydney but kind of base myself there and mm. yeah yeah oh that's great do you mind um, framing the next part of the conversation around Anzac Day mm-hmm. in terms of some people who are listening they're in the states or they're in the UK or mm-hmm. they may not know the, the, yeah, sure. the sort of context of it but can you just explain uh, well actually this is this leads in nicely <laughs> can you just explain a bit of the background but then also how it developed over time maybe mm-hmm. to become what it is today in our mm own cultural context yeah well just uh, a simple question that's yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well uh, okay so i suppose we've talked about anzac a few times we've thrown yep. that word out and it's it's based on a on what was an acronym for the australian new zealand 
Army Corps, mm. which was a a, um, a corps set up established in the First World War, and so um, Australia and New Zealand were were dominions of the British Empire, and so mm-hmm. um, the uh, the Australian New Zealand um, governments committed committed um, troops, and they were formed into this um, joint force that. Uh, was um, to be part of the British, the broader sort of imperial forces, mm. and which, which, mm-hmm. which just I just have a comment there because when you think if a war was happening in Europe today, mm-hmm. like the connection isn't that strong, is it? Mm. When you think about mm-hmm. the context of what life was like for them, it mm. was still very much a almost a colony, wasn't it? Mm. Sort mm-hmm. of the mentality. Yeah, extra- yeah, it is. It's it's worth pointing that out that it's it's an extraordinary thing. Uh, for, and it, because it was, it was a compelling thing to do. It was for the for Australians and New Zealanders to. There was no doubt, no doubt about yeah. it that that's what we would do. We would be for a king and country, and mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And and there was a, I mean, I could we could talk at length about this, which is you know the formation of of Australian New Zealand settlement and mm. was very much seeing seeing themselves as as part of a British world. Mm. And they saw themselves as part of the empire, and yep. that that was what gave their life. Kind of a framework and a kind of cosmology, the context and meaning of where mm. they sat. That's right. The, it was very much the sense of that the the best was in Europe, and that you would transplant those mm. the best that was British and British institutions and and literature and and uh, and then uh, sort of ground these in this new new place, mm. um, which of course was a very old place for mm. for Maori and, and for Indigenous Australians. Mm. Um, and that was makes for an interesting history of history in our countries because history, of course, is always was a, a key kind of way in which British uh, British people in the nineteenth century kind of connected themselves to to Britain mm-hmm. and you know the sense of the traditions and of and institutions of of what it meant to be British and so the the the, the Australian and New Zealand settlers um, were very conscious of their need to to sort of write their sort of history uh, mm. and um yeah so uh yeah so so i've distracted you from talking about anzac so i'm sorry for that no, but fine. let's come back to it so you've got the australia new zealand army corps mm-hmm. and they're sending troops off mm-hmm. to fight yeah right so we're in the first world war and um there is a part of the british strategy to to knock out the the ottoman empire which is is uh recently entered the war in 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 um, 1914, and is is to um, to stage what is uh, the largest or the first actually amphibious sort of modern amphibious landing in mm. sort of in the, in the war and uh, at Gallipoli, mm-hmm. which is um, the uh, yeah is uh, won't sort of go too much into the geography, but um, uh, <clears throat> what we would call modern day Turkey. As part of this kind of broader st- sort of strategy, and uh, and on April twenty five, um, the uh, first the Australian troops and then later the New Zealand troops are landed as part of this broader kind of um, strategy. Mm. So okay, so it's a yeah this part of this this war and um, the campaign itself is is fairly um, disastrous, and it's it's becomes one of many kind of one sort of an, I suppose a. Um, I suppose a, if we think of the First World War as kind of a war of of, of um, sort of mass casualties, you know the first sort of uh, 
modern war and one of, of, of sort of mass, mass casualties and mass violence, well, the, the Gallipoli campaign is, is a good example of that. Mm. Um, the war goes on for a number of years. Mm -hmm. There's a number of battles. There's a number of casualties. There's a number of bad situations. Mm -hmm. What was it, do you think, that, that meant that that particular day and that particular, um, I guess, event mm -hmm. sort of transcended and became the thing that is used to remember back Anzac Day, you know? Yeah, right. So so I suppose in Anzac Day is now the is the day when we, which is on every April 20, 25, which mm -hmm. commemorates the landing. Uh, and it sort of, it appears, Anzac Day appears uh, immediately. So... In 1916, so on the first anniversary of the landing, there is a right. there are commemorations held in Australia, and New Zealand, and across the uh, in, in London. There's a there's a parade of Australians, and New Zealand troops through London, and and uh, but I think that's um, so. In many ways, even so, Gallipoli became part of a sort of a a broader context of the war. So mm. there were, I mean, if if, for, if you take for example, if you go to the to any sort of um, a significant war memorial in places like Australia and New Zealand. So if, you, if you're in Auckland, you know, you go to the Auckland War Museum mm. and you'll see on the outside of the building, which is, um, are all the battles that, the, that New Zealanders were involved in. Yeah. And Gallipoli is there, mm. but it's actually one of many. It's mm. quite a, um, and you would have, um, in a sense, quite a, not, not a major, certainly not prominent, it's just one of, Many, it's, uh, mm. it's alongside other um, battles in, in Palestine and, um, and Egypt, which were um, part of that sort of Middle Eastern theatre of the war, but there are the battles in the Western Front, and mm. most famously, you know, the Battle of the Somme, uh, Passchendaele, which um, also result in sort of mass casualties for, for the Australians and New Zealanders. Mm. So what's kind of interesting, in a sense, for, for my standpoint, as, as somebody who's interested in commemoration and the history of commemoration, is the way that Gallipoli, in many ways, has become kind of more um, central and kind of more total, totally kind of encompassing in how we think about yeah. ANZAC commemoration and the sort of history of Australian and New Zealand involvement in war. Mm. Um, and is there is there an easy answer to that question then? Because mm. I think you've, you've, you've kind of confirmed what I thought, which is that there war is awful there's many yeah. battles there's many people dying yeah. in many different situations but mm. i guess what i'm curious about is what what was it that elevated gallipoli mm. in that particular day like yeah, was, sure. was it that that i don't know was there a poem written or something that yeah. somehow it transcended yeah, the battles to yeah. become mm -hmm. the battle <laughs> as yeah, the one sure. that we will remember it is yeah so there's it's a it's it's quite a um it's, it's a very interesting question. And I think part of it, one, for example, is that in many ways, you know, we talk about the, the imperial context of the, mm. of the war. And part of the, one of the energies that, or one of what energised people to take up arms from, 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 from Australia and New Zealand and head over to Europe, to, the, to home, mm. head back home, was a, a sense to prove that we had to prove um, ourselves. As, and I say ourselves, but I mean British um, settlers um, in Australia and New Zealand who identified themselves with as part of this imperial world, and they, mm. there was very much a sense that they had to go back to show that they were that the best of the British race um, mm. would um, would fight and would they were prove loyal themselves and noble and exactly. sacrificial and exactly, and that yeah. they would fight, you know, what for king and country, 
Yeah. And so in many ways, uh, what we see in, in at the outbreak of the war is actually an anticipation that this battle how it would be a moment of, of great sort of um, a great moment because right. it would be the first time that these that in large um, that in large numbers these these sort of British um, settlers would 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 um, would fight for the empire mm. and <clears throat> so it sets it apart in a way because it was Australian and New Zealanders mm-hmm. who were going in to do this battle yeah. rather than sort of mixed among many others yeah that's right and. And very much a sense that this was the first kind of um, this first moment in this in this in this this war. Um, mm. So in in that sense, it's 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 simply chronological. It's yeah. it's what came first. Right. Um, and what has but what's important subsequent is as you said the writings and the poetry and the mm. the, the the records and the and then the the sort of I suppose when we think about why we remember things from the past and not others, mm-hmm. we take into account. You know the what I kind of often call the kind of ecosystem mm. of of memory, and that's you know um, that's people. So some people were particularly taken by the Gallipoli campaign and mm. and wrote compelling narratives about it, which became popular and and, and great poets um, and people who were energised to to set up you know museums which mm. which promoted the memory of that battle. So it's partly. Um, a, a sort of constellation of things mm. that shape what today we, we associate that link between Anzac Day uh, and Gallipoli. Mm. And uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And what do you think it says, or I don't know where this question is going, but we're, we're commemorating a defeat, mm-hmm. right? Like it was not a good experience for the people. Many people lost their lives mm-hmm. rather than commemorating a victory. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. the time that the Australian and New Zealanders took this particular vantage point. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of playing out a narrative mm-hmm. where actually something really awful happened. Mm-hmm. And yet that's what's remembered. Is there any yeah. is there anything worth yeah, well, commenting on there? Or? It, it is interesting. I mean, that's that's often been a aspect of it, which is sort of, I think, added to the, the tragedy yeah. and the tragic um and aspects of, of, of the Gallipoli story. I suppose um, what's important is the way in which uh, the context, and we, again, we've talked about the sort of context of, of empire, mm-hmm. which was the provided the reference points for the initial kind of way that people tried to make meaning of, of these mass casualties, and mm. and one, one of which was it was very celebratory, so the sense that Australians and New Zealanders had contributed and that was kind of what counted. Um, it wasn't right. so much the broader military objective. Um, but I think that, and this goes for the broader commemoration of the First World War, that the old heroic sort of modes mm. that people drew on to kind of to try to make meaning of the war didn't hold up uh, over time. And that's mm. because of the fact that um, people came back from the war and the, the impact of the war was felt mm. in, in those decades and of course, we then have you know we had the the compounding kind of impact of the war and mm-hmm. um, and a growing sense of the mass yeah of what a mass war in, entails mm. in terms of not simply the, the the ones who die but also who come back and who are maimed and and also the way that the, this war transformed societies mm. so that we we often maybe focus on the on the combatants on the Western Front for example but of course it was a war that transformed 
the lives of everybody mm. in, in, in those societies which participated, even those societies which didn't participate, which were <clears throat> neutral to the war, mm. were also profoundly changed. And so I think that's, um, yeah, what's interesting is the way in which the, I think, Gallipoli, uh, part of, I think, one of the appeals of Gallipoli is, is that has been the, the sort of growing... Uh, appreciation of the growing sort of the voice of of the the soldiers who mm-hmm. who fought um and that's certainly been a, a way that the history of the of the campaign has been written in the last 40 years um and very much an emphasis not on the heroic um not on the the the, the brass so to speak but very much the kind of the from the front line yeah. back the soldier yeah in the rain yeah going to going to his doom or whatever right yeah and the thing Mm -hmm. yeah i hear what you're saying and what strikes me when i'm driving around new zealand you know visiting a small town and there will be some memorial in the town Mm -hmm. and you go up and you and they often will have the names of the people who went you know it'll actually list out the the people who Mm. left that town and you look around you think this town is tiny Mm. and there's like 25 names on this memorial Yeah, yeah the impact that it had at that time just emphasizes to me the tragedy of it because mm. everyone was affected, right? And yeah, so sure. in that way, it kind of resonates that this awful event mm-hmm. is what got remembered because it mm. resonated with everyone who was so saddened by losing their brother or their sister, mm. you know, or mm-hmm. whoever it was that had gone off, yeah. off to fight. And yeah, it's, I mean, that's right. And if you were to look at some of those memorials uh, and you were to, if you were familiar with perhaps the community and mm. you you might recognize names, surnames, and, yeah. and that's often the case in some of these small towns in New Zealand and small sort of and suburbs of, of our cities is that you do have, you can identify families mm. who have sort of, and, and, and we can see some of those connections and the way in which the impact of that war can, can resonate for generations. Mm. And also perhaps partly the appeal, therefore, of the kind of, of being able to situ- place ourselves and connect ourselves with that 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 um, mm. this this war this moment in history. Mm. Um, so we've been talking a lot about Anzac Day itself. Um, just thinking of it because it's really a way of commemorating the past, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts about, I guess, commemoration itself? Yeah, well, I suppose uh, it is interesting because one of the, the the questions that we ask about Anzac Day is basically why why does it why is it still around and mm. why do we place such an big emphasis on it? Uh, <clears throat> usually, we can talk. We sort of scholars might talk about two kind of broad reasons why people commemorate any given historical event. One of which is that we've talked about, which is a personal mm-hmm. might be a personal connection, so a family member or a friend um, related to that, or in this context in the, the war, so somebody who's lost. Um, or was affected by the war, then we might sort of put it a little bit larger and maybe put it in a more social context or a community in which people have kind of, I suppose we think about remembrance as having a kind of social function and people, for example, you might be part of the, you might be a government official, you know, you might represent that community. So of course you're going to go mm. to a commemoration or you're, you're, you're part of the RSA, you're the, you know, you're a veteran, part of a veterans organization. So you have a you're a religious leader, so you have a sort of social function that you you play in that remembrance. Mm. But we have, if we have that kind of personal social memory, mm. if we can call it that, we have kind of what might be identified as a more sort of broader cultural significance that people make of commemoration. So they, they go to commemorations 
because they have a sense that this is this holds kind of a deeper cultural significance. Mm. And I think that kind of speaks to the way in which Gallipoli and what you've been sort of intimating and we've been talking about is is how uh, something becomes kind of, yeah, can become a kind of take on that sort of uh, what we might call a myth, you know, something which grounds us in a bigger sense of who we are, mm. um, which doesn't necessarily have a personal connection, but takes on a kind of a broader sort of... Um, sort of almost cosmic kind of aspect to us. Um, and kind of echoes back to our earlier point about your own childhood, right? Like the fact that your grandfather told the stories about being Irish Catholics who moved mm -hmm. to New Zealand, that mm -hmm. that gave you a sense of place mm -hmm. in a way. Mm -hmm. It's what we're talking about here is that sure. as a nation, mm -hmm. Gallipoli sort of transcended the fact that it was one battle of many mm -hmm. and, and has now quite a high place within the thinking about the past. Yeah, right. And that that's really the, the role that memory plays mm -hmm. in many ways is is, is it it's it gives us identity. It so it tells us, you know, where we've come from. So we you know we know that we've changed over time and we, we know that ourselves as people, but we know that as communities. Yeah. So communities change, but memory is about kind of creating that connection and saying, well we change but we're the same and we have that connection. Mm. And it also tells us it, it's also about teaching kind of obligations. You know, memories, if we think about things that we remember, we remember them with a sense of learning a lesson mm. or um, or that's how we do things. That's how things should be done. Mm. So, and that's the same for, and we've got to be careful about translating, you know, that cognitive experience of memory as people, as individuals to societies. And because mm. obviously that, that the mechanism of remembrance is different, but it carries the similar thing. So, so memory works to, to give to, to ground a, the identity of a of a group, mm -hmm. and it also kind of teaches. Uh, it sort of passes on, sort of lessons for, mm. for that for the future, mm. and uh, memory works in that way. So it's very and it's very um, uh, personal, mm -hmm. and it's very um, powerfully it can be very powerful emotions around us mm -hmm. and. Um, and can be very, um, yeah, very sort of very much bring the stuff that, you know, brings, cements a community. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose what historians try to do is to, who have, we have a different kind of, if, if memory is one kind of relationship to the past, it's one way that the past kind of influences us. Mm -hmm. Historians sort of try to stand back and, and, and apply a different kind of, uh, have a different kind of relationship to the past, which is one where we try to be a bit more, um, not simply, um, well, and part of it is, is telling the stories of a, of a community and a people, but also trying to kind of put that, um, kind of, I suppose, um, give that a, a cr critical edge, you know, to understand, you know, where, where, why, why do we remember? You know, mm -hmm. why do we remember some things and not others? And why do we, so in the context of Anzac Day, why do we remember um, this moment in our history mm. of all sorts of things that we could remember as mm. a community and a, and a nation? Why do we remember Gallipoli? And um, certainly that's an interesting question, I think, because we, in places like Australia and New Zealand, where we have a history of, of, where, where, uh, of, of, um, of war and, and, and violence in our own in our own country, you know we have. Mm. Um, so why what is it that is a, what is it about Gallipoli? Well, I think part of it is that it is a, it's a sort of a a place where uh, it's beyond our shores, 
And I mean, that's another, perhaps to our listeners, they might, particularly if they're from America and Europe, they might think that's very peculiar. How can you have this this incredibly important moment in history, yeah. which is so far away from, from your home? And I think that's part of the flexibility that Gallipoli provides is, is actually it is it's a it's a it's a it's a canvas quite far away that we can project our 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 identity and our sense of who we are and that those moral lessons that we mm. we, we we take from commemoration um, which can be sort of take out perhaps some of the politics and the the more uh, uh, sort of uh, the discomfort of of histories closer to home right and and particularly when we're thinking about Australians and New Zealanders those histories of settlement and, yes. and, and, and the colonial wars and um, confrontations that arose um, between indigenous people and, and settlers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so I've so, just chucked a whole lot out there. No, it's but, good. There's a lot of content there, but I'm just thinking, just picking up what you said, you know, projecting offshore in a way, mm-hmm. it, it allowed people to connect, but not really connect with the day-to-day mm-hmm. life in mm-hmm. New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that interests me as well is the fact that, you know, Gallipoli was now not last generation. It was like the generation before mm. the last generation. So the people who are going to the services and, you know, commemorating, it's not their grandparents. It's mm. their, you know, potentially great grandparents or great, great grandparents. Yeah. And yet there seems to be a resurgence or a mm. real interest in a, lots of people are going out for the dawn services and remembering and in, in that way, it's kind of transcended even its place in history because mm. it's become mm. more about memory of the sacrifices mm. that people were willing to make for a cause that they believed in. Mm-hmm. That's my take anyway. I don't yeah. know what you think about that. No, I think it's it's a really interesting yeah example of that kind of transmission of kind of what that, as we described earlier, that personal social kind of commemoration. Mm-hmm. Which I think would have def- was what defined Anzac Day from 1916 up until the 1960s. Really, mm. was it was it was something for veterans. Mm-hmm. It was something which the audience of Anzac Day was very much the the returned servicemen, mm-hmm. so, um, and emphasis on men. It was about the men who went to the war, uh, and it was about a sort of a commemoration of their sacrifice. Um, but now, as you've, I think, identified, it's sort of very much, much more that's a cultural um, relationship that we have. So, so in many ways, the interesting thing when we talk about the history of Anzac Day is that in the 1960s, people said, well, look, the veterans are dying off. Uh, right. The, the RSAs, are, uh, you know, p- fewer people are attending Anzac Day. Um, yeah. The, the RSA, the return service organizations are kind of looking a bit... Um, no one really wants to join them anymore. You know, there's fewer, fewer of yep, the soldiers. Fewer veterans. So yeah. yeah. Makes um, sense. So just like any other sort of commemoration. So this little ceremony, it's going to die out yeah, right. eventually. Exactly. That sense that, and that's, there's a certain natural mm. pro- organic um, process that mm. goes with that and that these things have a life, shelf life. And, and um, now what's interesting, of course, is that here we are in 20. 18 and it hasn't gone away and in fact what's interesting is that in the 1960s and the 70s which was kind of like the the low points and 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 when people thought well this is it we won't anzac day won't be around in the next few years certainly not the next generation um by the 1980s kind of goes undergoes a big transformation Mm -hmm. and that's a transformation in terms of of people going to anzac day and uh, a sort of explosion in 
what we might think of as, as a kind of cultural kind of material around Anzac Day. So we have film, you know, we have suddenly films being made about Gallipoli. We have uh, books um, being written about it. Um, we have people going to Gallipoli. Mm. So a big part of our uh, experience of Gallipoli today is, is actually physically going to the to the to Anzac Cove where the, the Anzacs landed and, and there's the, on April 25, the dawn service and then there's the various commemorations of the particular battles and you have tens of thousands of people uh, in 2015 for the centenary attended mm. the dawn service um, orchestrated by the Australian New Zealand government. Um, you know, it's big, big, big deal. That's a really a phenomenon of the last 20 years and right. very much tied up with a boom in, in tourism. You know, we travel more generally mm. Mm. Um, than people did in the uh, several generations ago. But sort of speaks, I think, to a kind of a an interesting kind of global aspect of of the Gallipoli mm. of Anzac Day, which it does. It's a bit exotic, you know. We go to this exotic place, and and um, and we can you know, we make that part of our overseas experience when people on their way to London, or perhaps you know Australians and New Zealanders living in London, they mm. they make the trip to Gallipoli as part of a kind of a, almost a rite of passage, you know, connecting themselves to this place. Mm. Um, so that's certainly part of this, what we could talk all day about, which is this kind of culture, this sort of reimagining of, of Gallipoli as a kind of cultural myth. Mm. It's almost transcended, isn't it? That, mm. that mm. particular event or anything. Yeah, and yeah. exactly. And, and that's where I think historians, again, and I suppose I'm, I'm um, partisan to the role of historians, but that they play in the sense that this, the, the, the potentials for this remembrance, which can be powerfully, sort of can empower communities and can connect people to to each other, um, needs to be taken, you know, critically. And we have to be critical about histories of, of war and violence, um, and and because they can become, um, yeah, they need to be um, understood mm. in context, and we have to understand the the reasons why this this event took place and. And we can ask the question of, well, why do we make this our, mm. so important to our national story? And mm. are there other parts of our national story that we also need to give kind of mm. emphasis to? Well, I think we should go there because I, I wouldn't want to have not touched on this. Mm -hmm. Parihaka, mm -hmm. what is it that means that that, you know, because that mm. was a tragic event that happened, you know, well before Gallipoli. Mm -hmm. And yet it's only, in my experience, it's only relatively recently that people are kind of talking about it, memorializing what happened there. Mm -hmm. It was, it's on the sideline of history, mm. rather than being given a prominent place as a national thing to commemorate and realize that things were not going well and right back mm. there. I'm throwing this out as a real open question because mm. I don't know where we're going to go. Sure, but sure. have you thought through that sort of thing? Like, what is it? Because we've talked about this battle that happened thousands and thousands of miles away. Mm -hmm. um, and yet, as you alluded to before, things have happened within New mm -hmm. Zealand. Mm, sure. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a massive discussion because I think remember when we remember things, mm. uh, we forget things. And that's that's... Uh, inherent in remembering is mm. that we forget because remembering is about sh shaping a narrative mm. and giving it a plot and, and a start and a finish and yes. and its heroes and, and villains and it and it necessarily means simplifying things and, and that's with whether that's our own lives and how we reminisce mm. and and um, we're all as 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 nations and so 
Parihaka, I think, is part of of shows that the complexity of that mm-hmm. of, of that um, that commemoration is is uh, fraught and, and, and is is um, we have to kind of question, I think, the kind of a, the cultural agendas that that um, underpin commemoration. Mm. Um, so Parihaka is yeah very much part, I think forms an important part of our history, a, a great history of 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 peaceful resistance mm. and. In many ways, I think what's been a little bit disappointing about the first, the centenary of the First World War has been in many ways we've emphasised Gallipoli. Mm-hmm. So we've put a lot of emotional and financial investment in, in the centenary in 2015 of Gallipoli, but less so this the end of the war, the armistice, mm-hmm. which we're going to mark mm-hmm. um, the centenary of in a few days, yeah, right. November 11. And there's been some sort of commemoration of that but it's not exactly uh, not on the scale yeah of the annual exactly exactly yeah. and that says a little bit of a shame right why, why mm. do we surely we should mark um the end of this war with with mm. great um enthusiasm um rather than the beginning of it mm. which comes back to a point i asked about actually which is why gallipoli mm. which was a battle where people lost their life mm. why not one where they had a tremendous victory yeah right <laughs> and, and yeah. you know like the day that the war ends mm-hmm. in a way that seems like a logical day to be commemorating but mm. i guess it does come back to the things we've talked about which is it was a sad awful thing yeah. and therefore the the defeat was what resonated yeah yeah mm. and and i think in terms of the difficulties of yeah of, of commemorating Parihaka mm. is that it does it, it's it's not so nice it's mm-hmm. not so I mean that sounds a bit silly if we think about oh, Gallipoli wasn't it wasn't nice but yeah. it, perhaps it was a little bit less um, morally um, difficult to, to work through you know we have the enemy the, the Turks and yes. we have the good you know the our, our side and and you had you know a line that they fought over um, yes. whereas settlements and histories of settlement and and Parihaka, much closer to home. Yes. And much more difficult because they are things that took place on our own soil by our own um, our own people. <clears throat> and um, in a sense, the, the history is, is for makes for a much more... It's not, a, it's not one that we can simplify. No. And it's full of yeah complexity. And, and I suppose it therefore takes a lot more effort. And, it, it, mm. and it's going to... Um, it, it requires us to sort of sit down and, and to hear... Um, difficult truths mm. um, which i guess comes back to the role of the historian right mm. to to document to present mm. and to help people not forget um because i i'm just i think it was in 1984 one of those books mm. where it says basically you know the the winner writes the history mm-hmm. that type of concept mm. you know mm-hmm. like what is it we remember well mm-hmm. you know if if you won the if you won the war then you write about what happened in the war mm-hmm. as opposed to the loser probably doesn't write the history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that speaks to the fact that history can be abused. You know, history mm. can, you ha- can have bad history. Yeah. And I think what I like, you know, you've mentioned at the start of this podcast that partly it's about giving a voice, you know, and hearing mm. the stories of people. Mm. And that's one of the ways that the historian can, that's one ways that history and history um, in any form, whether that's, a podcast or a book or a yeah. um, or a uh, you know a, a conversation uh, can um, give speak truth to those um, to those uh, sort of buried um, pasts, mm. and I suppose um, 
That's right. So the one we have to be critical of of, of certain histories that might have been, as you say, written by the winners, mm. um, by giving a voice to those who aren't that we don't hear and that who don't have the clout to speak, mm-hmm. and also by being yeah, that history provides that kind of critical foil, I think, mm. to to um, remembrance. And mm. um, so I think you know we need both because ultimately we're facing decisions today that we can learn from the past mistakes mm-hmm. from, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the beauty of, of history. You don't, don't, hopefully, don't repeat the mistakes sure. of the past. Yeah. Just thinking through for yourself and your own purpose, you know, you talked about being um, overseas and then coming back to New Zealand, wanting to contribute to this place that you are. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel you're doing that in your role as a historian? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I think part of, in many ways at the moment, I'm, I'm sort of early in my Korea and who knows where I might be in a few years I mean it's 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 hard to say but um, I think for me that teaching is a big part of uh, what I really enjoy right. at, at the University of Canterbury and helping my students talking to my students about these kind of topics you know why do we getting them to think critical mm. critically about um, things like national history and, and, and commemoration mm-hmm. and also but helping them to kind of make those connections and say well what about my history and what about my community mm. and how can I tell these stories uh, like you know like you do with this podcast how can we um where this and it, it's really exciting when i see my students um make that connection between history as, as a discipline you know as a, as a dry potentially dry academic discipline mm. but as as also something which is, is lived and experienced mm. and uh can make make for better people and make for better communities. And I think um, you know I see students when I you know they they've come back after the break and they've because they've been doing working on an essay or something and they've gone and maybe the essay is about their community. You know it's it's and they've talked to their neighbour and and you know or, or gone back to their their school and reconnected with I don't know their old teachers or or they've gone you know they've gone back to their marae or their their church or their um, their rugby club or whatever it is. Mm. And I can see, yeah, that they've so history is, is very much about that those relationships. I think, mm-hmm. and that's very much I think an exciting. What I I think is a really, uh, what I really enjoy about being a historian is mm-hmm. being how is being able to to help um, students and and to 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 do that. Um, and I suppose I enjoy, um, yeah, I enjoy telling. Telling stories, and uh, I suppose I enjoy the uh, yeah the opportunity to to kind of um, have, give students sort of those moments when they see the world differently mm. in a different way, um, in a way which they hadn't, then start to see connections and for themselves. So, mm. no, that's really good. Yeah, because one of the things I often talk about with people here is purpose and why they do what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's really it's it's helpful to hear not just the detail about the ANZAC, you know, and, mm-hmm. and all the work that you've been doing there, but also to get a sense of this is fulfilling purpose for you as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Rowan, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really fascinating to dive a bit deeper and explore ANZAC in particular. But I think we touched, we had many rabbit holes <laughs> that we went down. Um, and I, I love um, just hearing your own personal history in terms of, you know, Ireland and feeling that connection, but then feeling like you want to have a place in New Zealand to be telling the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so really appreciate your time and want to say thanks for coming on today. 
Well, I really enjoyed it. So. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rowan. I really enjoyed the perspective he brought when thinking about Anzac Day and why is it that we commemorate it. If you enjoyed this episode, then why not tell a friend about it? And also, have a look at the back catalog, because there's now dozens and dozens and dozens of other interviews. Until next time!